Hey, this is Matthew Lilly. Welcome to the Presence Pioneers podcast. All right. Thank you for tuning in today. Welcome. We have a special guest today, Jose Diaz, who is a passionate leader in the body of Christ related to the Tabernacle of David and the worship and prayer movement all over the earth. And he has not only been all over the world and traveled and seen some of the amazing things God's doing, but he is just full of revelation and passion uh, on these topics that, that we are passionate about here at the Presence Pioneers podcast. And so that's going to be an amazing conversation today. Look, if you're new to the podcast, thank you for joining us. We are all about equipping present center communities to worship and pray night and day. And so we want to help you if you're a part of a house of prayer or a praying church or a burn furnace or a group on your campus and you're pursuing the presence of God and revival and worship and prayer. Look, we believe God's presence changes everything and we want to help you and support you and equip you with Bible teachings and these interviews and conversations. So please stay tuned with us. Please subscribe. If you haven't yet, we're on Apple and Spotify and YouTube, and our website is presencepioneers.org. You can go there to sign up for email updates if you want to stay in touch with us that way. Thank you again for tuning in. All right, Jose, welcome to the podcast today. Dude, it's such an honor to be here. I love that our walls are almost matching. Yes, they are. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be funny if we planned that. We just painted our walls. No, it's an honor, man. And uh, I'm excited to jump into to, to conversation and, and even with, with what you said in the beginning to see what God's going to do with helping maybe awaken some language to help equip and, and strengthen those that are that are going for it. And probably, I think for us, is probably going to be the craziest year and the craziest time of our lives. Come on. Yes, I agree. This is a crazy year. Well, look, you have traveled all over the world. You're helping equip worshipers, intercessors, prayer, worship communities that are going after the presence of God. You've got language and passion for the Tabernacle of David. So there's a lot of things we could talk about, but maybe give us a quick background for those who don't know you. How did you, you know, get into this thing? Give us just a quick, you know, short overview on, on how you got here. And then we can dive into some of what's happening right now. Yeah. So uh, it's an interesting story you know, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I was totally against house of prayer, uh, tabernacle of David. I was, uh, I was in a really interesting point in my life in college. I'm from Florida, from a little town called Miami. Some of you might've heard of it, uh, born and raised by, and, and, and I was living on the West coast of Florida at the time. And in this like time of just honestly burnout and disillusion with life, disillusion with the church, with Christianity, I'll never forget laying in bed and praying, uh, lived right on the water when I was really young, maybe late teens, early twenties. And at this time, I got no grid for any of this stuff, like no grid whatsoever. If you had told me, have you ever heard about the tabernacle of David? Never heard about it, you know, but laying in bed. And I remember I was in this like depression, man, and, and, and seeking God for some sort of direction and wisdom. And I said, Lord, what do you, what, what do you want from my life? And probably the clearest I've ever heard God speak to me, he said, you are my Samuel, and I am going to send you to the nations of the earth to anoint and equip the Davids. I had no clue what that meant, but it's what he said. You're my Samuel. I'm going to send you. 
uh, to the nations of the earth to, to equip Davids. You're going to train them, raise them up. You're going to put a weapon in their hand. The weapon is going to be an instrument. And then you're going to launch them to the nations. And I had this vision of us, of, well, us, I mean, it was just me, but I figured my family living on this property out in the woods and there was 24 seven worship there and we were training people. And then through that would get these crazy prophetic words. Now, and by the way, if I am the worst with technology, so I know I probably move, I'm every sound guy's nightmare when I'm preaching. So bear <laughs> with me, listeners. Okay. So You're I, sounding you know, good. And, and I started getting these prophetic words around that time, crazy stuff. So I do not lead worship. I'm a horrible singer and I'm a mediocre bass player. So, you know, I started getting all these words about you're going to lead the nations in worship. And I'm like, bro, you must be a false prophet. There's no way. I cannot, I probably have blown my vocal cords. I mean, I used to smoke so much before I got saved and then, and then, you know, not good breathing techniques when I talk and, you know, my voice is raspy and I talk really loud and fast. And so I get these, <laughs> these prophetic words about leading people in worship years ago, got this prophetic word about inventing instruments and work. And I'm just like, I, wow. I don't, I don't comprehend how any of this relates to anything. Like, like I'm a preacher, like, what well, you know, and so, but God began to do things, uh, you know, really supernaturally, you know, a few years ago, uh, one of my best friends, Rick Pino, uh, we, we kind of just lost touch because of, you know, the rhythms of life. We reconnected, moved to Austin to help him launch this heart of David, the school and the network. And I, I moved there, not because I believed in what we were doing. I moved there because I was like so sick of where I was living in Florida. It was a real retirement place. And just kind of dead in my heart. So I literally, I didn't pray about it. I was like, I just need to get the heck out of here. This guy's telling me to go to Texas. And so, you know, I, I went there and, and, you know, he had all this vision and language and so you ever heard of Malachi 111, Psalm 132. And I was no grid, but really what, what changed me the most was I, re I remember I got invited to preach at this youth. I haven't, I haven't thought about this in years. I got invited to preach at this youth retreat thing in like the middle of nowhere in the desert, like legit tumbleweeds, Texas, like, like, mm. like you're, you have dust all over you, Texas. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've just moved across the country. I'm kind of burnt out. I don't know what God wants to do with my life. I just remembered this dream, this prophetic word and that the Lord said about being a Samuel. And I'm in the, the room getting ready to, to go do the service. And, and I just said, Lord, what do you, what do you want me to preach to these people? And he said a phrase, and that phrase had really put me in a trajectory of where here I am now, seven, eight years later, living in Philadelphia. And he said, I want you to tell them to build me a home. That was the first time I'd, you know, really, the, the concept and the idea of the Lord's resting place and us building the Lord a home. And I knew that we were, you know, it was weird because I knew that, you know, we were temples of the Holy Spirit, but I knew that he was right. talking about something more than just an hour of prayer in the morning. He was talking about a cultures and communities and people that, that are gathering together, not so much with the agenda to build a ministry or even to build a movement, but with the agenda of building God, this house, this resting place. And it, it really awoke this journey in me. And so I preached, I, didn't, I had no grid, but I preached this thing. And for the next year, year and a half, two years, anywhere I would go to preach, I would say, okay, you know, the Lord would say, preach that. And so I preached the same message maybe for two years. And I felt like an idiot. You know, <laughs> I, I was like, God, like, I've got a lot more stuff in there. And, right. and, and, and so, and I don't want to make a long story 
too long, but I, you know, just two quick things. And it was like, Lord, when, why? And I was like, when are you going to tell me to stop doing this and why? And I just remembered, and I'm not, and he said something to me, I'm not saying I'm the only one, but I felt it was for me. And he says, if you don't tell them who will, yeah. and if they don't, where will I live? Like, who's going to contend? You know, and it's, and it's that transition from the God that visits us on Sunday morning to the God that has a place in our city to release his kingdom and government. Come and on. so, you know, you know, that rocked me. And then I'll never forget, we took the students at the school that we had launched in Austin with Hardy David. We were in Quito, Ecuador. So Ecuador is in South America. Quito is the capital. And, you know, I'm missionary, broke, disillusioned. What the heck am I doing? You know, I could be doing so much more, making so much more money. And we're, we're on our way to this church. And, you know, I'm, I'm ready to quit. And I just think this is so stupid. I'm going to quit. Like, like, what am I doing with my life? You know, and so they're hungry for this stuff. Anyways, I get over my pride and repent to the Lord. And I'll never forget this. I'm laying on the floor of the church and I heard the Lord say to me, he said, Jose, I say, God, you know, I repent. I, I declare Psalm 132 and, you know, say yes again. And the Lord says, will you give me a difficult yes so your children don't have to? Mm. He didn't promise that, you know, you're going to have this great big ministry and all your bills are going to be paid. Essentially, he was like, I want you and your gen- and not and, and I don't feel like this is for me. I feel like this is for us, for our generation. Right. I want you to pay the price of building me a resting place so your kids don't have to. I want you that's to pay good. the price. And so, you know, that's that's kind of the journey that we've been on. And, and you know, we were in Austin for five years and now we're in this, the small town of Philadelphia up in up in the Northeast going for it, man. So that's, that's amazing. Kind of little so good. background. I love it. That's an amazing story. So you've now gotten to travel all over the world. You're connected with with groups and communities and uh, worshipers all over the world. What are you seeing? Give us some perspective in the last couple of years. What's God doing in your perspective with the global worship and prayer movement? What are some cool testimonies? Some things that are yeah. that are happening. Kind of what would be the report, so to speak, from your perspective. Well, I, I, there, there's a lot of ways to look at that question. So I want to look at it a few ways here. Number one, I think that the biggest thing that the Lord is doing, and I think it's it's probably one of the most important things to the worship movement specifically, is he's restoring the language of priesthood. And so I think what happened in the beginning with the worship movement, it was exciting. I think it was yeah. it was cool, right? It was kind of like the hip thing to do. And, and it attracted a lot of those fringe people that were burnt out with church, but I think one of the things that's happening is, is that language is coming to the worship movement. And yes. I don't know if there's anything as far as, you know, there's so many things, but language is so necessary. And what language is doing is that the worship movement is going from being a really awesome night of worship to strategic worship where, where we understand that this, when we understand the language of priesthood and this, in this whole Melchizedek paradigm that we're not Levites. I love learning from the Levitical order, but we're, you know, we're in the priesthood of Melchizedek. We're now, we're not offering animal sacrifices. We're offering the sacrifice of praise, which tells us that my song can do what a goat used to do. That my melody, my worship, right? My expression can now do. And what did it, what, it, it could literally change the mind of God about a place and about a region. And so mm-hmm. now we're, we're, we're transitioning. Of, the goal isn't just having a really good, meeting and a really good night of worship the goal is actually understanding that as we are a priestly people and we have this priestly responsibility to steward our cities 
to steward our regions and to steward the nation that we're in or the nations that we're part of. And we're stewarding them through worship by singing the song of the Lord over these cities and over these regions. So I think that's one thing, the language of the priesthood. I think number two, and this is multifaceted, is I, I, I believe it's beginning to happen, and I think it really needs to happen, is God is going to, is delivering, and he's going to deliver the worship movement from being an industry and from being like, I'm trying to think of the phrase, I, I think it, it needs to stay organic, and it needs to stay family-driven. And, and yeah. so I, I think one of the things I remember the Lord showed me this, you know, in, in the beginning of this, is what we're going to begin to see is this, we are going to begin to see the fruit of worship communities you don't even know about. We're right. going to begin to see things happen in nations and things happen in places. And it's the byproduct of these priestly worship communities in nations all over the world. You'll never hear their songs. You'll never know their names, but you will eat and enjoy of the fruit of their worship and of these priestly communities. And, you know, dude, I, you probably remember this as well as I do in 07, 08, 06. The big thing was nameless, faceless, nameless, faceless. That became a cliche. And all the nameless, faceless people became people with names and faces. But I, I really believe we are getting ready to come back to this nameless faces, grassroots thing where we're going to be delivered from the temptation of always having to put record. And it's, and it's this understanding of, of man, I, there's, this is, this has to become so much more than like another stream. This isn't right. a stream. This is central to the plan of God for releasing his kingdom on the earth. So you got priestly language. I think there's this organic thing that's beginning to happen and it's connected to the third thing. And I think this is probably one of the most important, probably the first one in this one is, is I think we're going to be, we're seeing this begin to happen where there's people are going to begin to contend for the, in their indigenous sound. And mm. I think for the most part, globally, globally, I've been to 30 something countries. I know there's guys that have been to more, but I, I think I've been to enough. I've been to six continents where worship around the world predominantly sounds the same. That's a right. tragedy. How it is. is it that worship in Sao Paulo, Brazil doesn't sound any different than San Francisco, California or, or wherever? And so I think one of the next steps is, is we need to have, we need to put a pause on the overabundance of recorded worship music and communities. And, and, and it's happening. I'll tell you a testimony here in a second. Uh, the, the communities that would begin to contend uh, uh, for their indigenous sound, for the sound of their city and the sound of the region. I have friends, I can't, I, I unfortunately can't say where, because I've been asked not to. They're in the Middle East, in a, in a particular country, and uh, God is exploding in the churches there. And and he does not allow his worship teams, and this guy's over 600 churches, they're not allowed to listen to American worship. <laughs> and he says, here's wow. why. Because if you do, you'll start copying it. I want us to go after the indigenous. There are sounds and instruments that are indigenous to this nation. And I want us to use these sounds and to use and, and to, to release that indigenous sound. So, you know, those are three things that I really think is beginning to happen. And, and, and what it is, is, man, God is delivering an entire generation of, of worshipers from this rejection spirit, from this idea that success is this or that or this. And the willingness, man, to contend, I mean, imagine a community going on a fast to contend for their corporate sound. So, you know, I, I hope that's not confusing, but the, you know, those are kind of some of the no. things that, that I'm, I'm seeing and so forth. No, that's amazing. I love that you said people are going to experience the breakthrough of these little 
worship yeah. and prayer communities that nobody knows about. I hope that's encouraging to some people that are tuning in because I know that we are connected with a number of these little groups that feel they're small, they're gathering, they're faithful, they're hungry, they're going after hosting the presence of God. And it's, I think it's an encouragement to all of us that that's actually making a difference, that that's shifting things and releasing things in regions and cities, uh, whether we can, see can it or feel it that? or not. Yes, please. I, I, want, to, I want to encourage those communities. Um, I, I think sometimes the temptation is we get so fixated on those that are in the public eye. And I love, I mean, I love it. It's amazing. But I am convinced that it's those small hidden communities that are faithful. I mean, they're living in the paradigm of God. You don't owe us anything. We're going to do this. If it's 10 of us uh, for the rest of, uh, of our lives on the earth, if it's 10 of us, five of us, eight of us, and we're in the middle of nowhere, Idaho or wherever you are, you know, I know yeah. you just did an amazing tour going through some of these different places. I believe those are the people that are keeping mercy on our country. I believe those are the people that are keeping the fire burning. Those hidden ones are those special ones to the Lord. I'll share a quick testimony, if that's cool. Yeah. I remember in the early days, it was like 20 of us. And, and, you know, for, and for some of you, that might seem big. And for some of you, that might seem so small. 20 of us in a warehouse in Austin, Texas, the Lord the Lord had us, I'll never forget this, man. It was in the beginning, had us sing over ISIS. You remember ISIS kidnapped the 21 Christians in a beach in Egypt and beheaded yeah. the 21 Christians. And the Lord had us contend for mercy to triumph over judgment for ISIS. And we had no grit for this stuff. And and we began to sing and prophesy and do all these things in this little warehouse. You know, there was no Facebook Live at the time. No, this is, nobody knows about this. This is just us in a little warehouse in Austin. And, and the Lord gave us this prophetic song. If you can't send messengers, visit them yourself, Jesus, with visions and dreams. And we sang it and sang it. And it was a few weeks later, we're in the Philippines and I'm checking the news and I get a news flash and it says member of ISIS that it was a part of the beheading of the 21 Christians has fled ISIS, gone to Jordan and converted to Christianity because Jesus visited him in a dream. And he became one of the first informants of what, uh, of what ISIS was doing. Guys, I'm telling you, nobody knew about us. People only know because I've shared it. But, right. but I, I'm believing for communities, and, and I'm not trying to take up too much time, Matt, but You're I'm great. believing for these communities. I want to encourage you. got five people. It doesn't matter. You guys could be the ones dismantling principalities and powers in the Middle East. You guys could be the ones keeping mercy over our country. Don't despise where you're at and don't determine your success by number. I mean, it's these people that are faithful for years with five, 10 people that are fulfilling the dream of God's heart for having a resting place on the earth. Amen. Yeah. I'm, I'm convinced that little groups that are praying and worshiping, hosting the presence of God are, are changing history. I'm convinced of it. Thank you for that encouragement, man. I know that's going to help so many people. Um, shifting gears a little bit, I guess you mentioned the Melchizedek priesthood and yes. That's kind of a fun topic because not a lot of people talk about that. <laughs> it's kind of a strange phrase. Uh, and so I've, I've looked into that some, studied it some, you know, as I've looked at David and Jesus and the book of Hebrews and all that, of course. And so maybe you, we could get into that a little yeah. bit, some of, the, some of that language and even theology uh, behind what we're pursuing when we're talking about priestly communities that are worshiping and praying, many of them for long hours. Uh, what the heck is the Melchizedek priesthood? Yeah, just just maybe dive into that and un yeah. unpack that for us a little bit. Hey guys, this is Matthew. We'll get back to the episode in just a moment. 
If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider joining Presence Pioneers Premium, our brand new subscriber community. Paid subscribers will get exclusive premium content, such as bonus podcast episodes, exclusive articles, early releases, and more. Presence Pioneers will be releasing its first e-course in 2024 with many more to come. And the Presence Pioneers premium subscribers will always have full access to the entire library of online courses. Visit media.presencepioneers.org or click the link in the description to join today. You can become a premium member today for an introductory price of only $5 a month. When the price goes up in the future, as our library of resources grows, you can stay subscribed at the original price. If you've enjoyed our podcast for a while, becoming a premium member is a simple way for you to help us cover the cost of producing this podcast and partner with Presence Pioneers in equipping the church with resources for day and night prayer, prophetic worship, missions, and revival. Visit media.presencepioneers.org to sign up today. Uh, so first of all, for those of you that don't know, Melchizedek, is, uh, he was a king and a priest, and it's, it's really fascinating uh, to get into it, and there's so many elements here. And so to, to keep it simple, he was sure. a king and a priest, and he was the king of a place called Salem, which is ancient Jerusalem. It's Jerusalem before Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yeah. It's uh, uh, before it became a Jebusite stronghold. And so this is this is fascinating. So let's unpack a few things here. Number one, Jesus on the cross establishes, and I, I, I'm actually, I want to do better with the giving of the language. He doesn't establish a new priesthood. He reestablishes the original priesthood. And I think this is so important. Amen. The Levitical priesthood is not the first priesthood. The Melchizedek is the priesthood of the first priesthood. Uh, Genesis chapter 14 is the first time you see Melchizedek. Uh, his name is, comes from two Hebrew words, Melech and Zadik, uh, which means king. Melech is king and Zadik is righteousness. So he's the king of righteousness and he's Melech Shalem or Shalom, right? The king of Salem, which is king of peace. So he's the king of righteousness and the king of peace. So we understand immediately that this priesthood is different than the Levitical priesthood in that the king is a high priest and the high priest is a king. So right away, we have this understanding that there is this governmental element to the Melchizedek priesthood. So it's more than just offering incense. It's offering incense and it's legislating. So this is a part of this dynamic. So the worship movement has to do more than have the Mary of Bethany posture. I want the Mary of Bethany posture and the Ephesians chapter two seated with Jesus in heavenly places. And it's it's both of these paradigms, both of these realities coexisting at one time. Right? So he's a priest and a king, which means that it's his intimacy that gives him access to rule and reign in this governmental level, right? And so he's, so he's, and if, if I say something confusing, you know, just stop me and, and whatever. So he's a king and a priest, and it's the original priesthood. I would venture to say the Melchizedek priesthood, we know this from, you know, the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter five, chapter seven, that it's an eternal priesthood. It doesn't mean that it started and it's going to last forever. Like, for example, like uh, uh, Zadok and that whole lineage, they became a perpetual priesthood. 
but they're not an eternal priesthood. The Melchizedek priesthood, I believe, was the, the means by which God actually creates the universe. The whole creation process is a, a picture of priestly ministry. What do I mean? Uh, we know that Paul tells us in Colossians that everything comes from the Father and through the Son. So there's this dialogue, right, that's happening between the Father and the Son that's really a beautiful picture of the antiphonal prophetic singing that we see in the tabernacle of David. So the Father reveals to the Son what he desires, the Son speaks it out and declares it, and it's created. That's an act of priesthood. That's a picture of intercession. It's a picture of prophetic worship. It's a picture of of, of even how the, the, the antiphonal singing, like I said, of the tabernacle of David, where there's this dialogue and this antiphonal back and forth going on between God, in our case, God and man, but in that case, between the Father and the Son. And so Jesus, who's been operating in this Melchizedek kingly priestly role, uh, creates the world, creates the whole universe through this uh, uh, priestly act, right? And so Melchizedek, as far as I know, this is my opinion. I, I don't know if I could fully back this up, so don't don't go build your church on this. I believe it's existed from, from the beginning. And we know this in Genesis 14. It's after what's known as the slaughter of the kings. Abraham goes to war to, uh, against kings that were coming against the king of Sodom and so forth. And afterwards, Melchizedek comes to Abraham and he's going to offer him bread and wine. Now, here's the amazing thing about Melchizedek. Uh, Jews believe that he was a Gentile. He was not Jewish. So this is very significant. Jesus in the Melchizedek priesthood, it isn't a Jewish priesthood. It's a, in other words, it's a priesthood that has room for anybody from any nation. Yeah. We don't want the Levitical system because you and I, we can't be Levites. We eat bacon and, and, you know, we do all this stuff. But, but the Melchizedek priesthood, which is the eternal priesthood, tells us that the priesthood was something that was meant for every, it's a, it's, it's a part of the human experience. Humanity was created and intended by God to be a priesthood, right? To rule and to reign from the place of intimacy. And so when, when Abraham comes to, uh, after this place, and Melchizedek comes to Abraham, and there's a few amazing things. He's a Gentile. He offers him bread and wine. We know it's a picture of covenant. And he's the one that teaches Abraham to call God, God most high possessor of heaven and earth. So he's actually, he's going to teach Abraham how to call God by this name. And then he kind of disappears. And you're just like, well, that was interesting. And so he's He's king of Salem. Interesting thing, the place, and, and you can meet Orthodox Jews in Israel that'll tell you this, the place of Melchizedek's reign is the same place that Abraham bound Isaac. It's the same location. It's the same era. So we have all these amazing things. It's the place of the binding of Isaac is the place of the tabernacle of David. It's the place of the temple of Solomon. This central place of worship throughout human history is the headquarters, if you will, of this Melchizedek priesthood. So then we hear nothing for a few thousand years until King David, out of nowhere, he builds, as we know, the tabernacle of David with the singers and the musicians, totally outside of the Mosaic law, totally outside of the Levitical order. And we're like, how the heck is he getting away with this stuff? I think I, I think there's something powerful. And so one of the things we say is that he's tapping in to uh, the future. He's tapping into the realities of the age to come. I actually don't think he was doing that. I think he was tapping into a priesthood that always existed. It had never not existed, but it was for those that had an eye to see and an ear to hear. And we know that Psalm 110, right? The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, prophesying to Jesus, prophesying to the Messiah. This is forever. This is an established ordinance. And David understood that if he could begin to tap 
into these realities, begin to tap into this understanding of, of the sort of priesthood that can offer. We don't just have to offer up animals, right? We offer up sacrifices of praise and, and hopefully to make something complicated, less complicated. I think David gives us a verse that beautifully describes the ministry of the priesthood of Melchizedek. And it's Psalm 22, 3, the Lord is enthroned on the praises of his people. And it's this God's kingdom and God's government is connected to worship. And he understands this whole different paradigm. Wait a minute. And the Levitical priesthood, right? The king and priest are separated, but in the yeah. eternal priesthood, right? There's this weird connection between the kingdom government of God and worship. And so, you know, we tap into this and we understand that we're a part of a priesthood where God wants to build his throne on our songs. He wants to build his throne on our worship. Anyways, I hope that wasn't confusing in any way. No, that's amazing. And it's, I believe this is one of the most important revelations that we need to come into. Psalm 110 is the most quoted Old Testament chapter in the New Testament. And and I believe there's a reason there's a reason for that. And you see this priesthood. And I'm gonna I, I want you to share more, so I'm not gonna I'm gonna try not to get into it too much. No, but you see it. it even in even in Genesis where God gives Adam the garden and he says that he's to tend and to keep it. There's a theologian, his last name's Beal, I forget his first name, but he goes through really painstakingly, you can read his, his theology, but to show that the Garden of Eden was a temple, that, yeah. that the assignment to Adam, that those words are actually to priest and to king. Those are the language, that was the language that was given to the Levites in the tabernacle, to tend and to keep it. And it really means that they were to host the pre- presence of God, that they were to minister to the Lord. And then Adam was to keep the garden as a place of worship so that that Melchizedek priesthood that has been eternal, that the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit were in, that Adam was invited into that, into that fellowship with the Lord of intimacy with God, but then stewarding the earth as an expansion of that. And and the goal was that Eden was actually to expand to the ends of the earth, be fruitful and multiply so that the earth would actually become a place of God's dwelling, that the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Like that was the original vision for Adam. Of course, obviously he fumbled that. But even Adam, I believe, was called into this. Pre- he was called to be a king and a priest. That's the original calling yeah. of humanity, I believe, on the earth is to do that with the Lord. And you see that all throughout Scripture, very vividly in the tabernacle. David, you see a restored. And then, of course, in Christ as the ultimate fulfillment. And we're going to get back to that. I mean, you see it in, in Revelation 4 and 5, yeah. where you see the throne room. And the throne room is actually a temple. It's a place of worship. And yeah. you see that priestly and kingly reality come together again. And so, so I totally agree. Anyway, we could go on and on. I, the Tabernacle of David, it was a challenge for me for years to understand how did David get away with this? Yeah. <laughs> Why was he allowed to have the ark out in the open? Why were they using music instead of the sacrifices that were prescribed in the law? And I remember when I came to that revelation of the Melchizedek priesthood and saw someone yeah. and I realized it's not that, I mean, people use all kinds of like, Oh, well, he was just so intimate with God that God kind of let him get away with it or it whatever. It doesn't work that way. Be, and and like, you get away get, with adultery or murder or whatever. No, no, no. And, and what's interesting is that they couldn't get away with us touching the ark. You know what I mean? Like he yeah. died, like, 
they weren't trying like the whole point of that story isn't like you can you can sneak past the law the point was that there was like that david was entering into a higher priesthood an eternal priesthood yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, order, yeah. order of melchizedek and it wasn't canceling out the levitical priesthood for israel but that hey there's something bigger that's going on and that, that ultimately Jesus would invite the nations into that priesthood yeah. uh, to minister to him, to be in his presence and to steward the earth with, yeah, with yeah, him, yeah, yeah. which is, which is so epic. I mean, it's so epic. <laughs> it, it really is. And you hit a few things here that I think are absolutely important. And again, even back to the beginning, we're talking to some of these uh, uh, smaller communities in there. So, you know, the, hitting on the whole deal with Adam is so important God created man. Humanity was intended by God to be a priesthood. And so what is the, the ultimate function or responsibility of a priesthood is stewardship. And so again, back to that, we talked about what is God doing? He's restoring priestly language. Part of that language is the understanding that I am a steward of the earth. I am a steward, right? And, and I have the ultimate goal now in this paradigm that we live in understanding Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, that my stewardship is to see the remergence of heaven and earth, right? That reunification of heaven and earth. If I can just give a quick scripture here that I love. Anytime I travel anywhere and I'm teaching on this stuff, I always start with this. Psalm 115, verse 16. It's a, a just brilliant verse by King David. The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. It just just blows. So what is he saying? He's saying, I paraphrase it like this, in the same way that God governs and stewards the heavens, God created man to govern and steward the earth. So that's that. And how do we govern and steward? And so what we see, and so here's what happens. We see pockets. We have the governmental people, and then we have the priestly people. We have the yeah. people that are just pouring oil, and then you got the people that all they do is make decrees. And I'm like, you guys are great, but you have a lot of one aspect but God wants us to marry the two. God wants us to walk in a high level governmental authority where, where we can lift our voices and shift nations, but he doesn't want us to walk in that outside of deep intimacy, deep fellowship with him. And God wants us to walk in deep fellowship and deep intimacy, not so we can be spiritually fat and lazy, but so that we can begin to love what God loves and hate what he hates and begin to become those conduits of the kingdom of God on the earth. But it begins, I I think what you said, Matthew, is so brilliant. It begins with understanding that I have a responsibility to tend to to the garden. And now the garden, it's first my heart, it's my family. It's the right. city that I live in, right? It's, 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 you know, I'm in a season right now where there's a lot of transition and things happening. And, and one of the things is, man, I want to slow down a little bit. And, and, and I want to like, I want to, I, man, I've been so busy. I haven't had worship sets with my wife in my apartment, you know, things yeah. like that, where I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, I love the nations, but I've got a garden right now. It's called Philadelphia, and I haven't done a good job attending it. Or I haven't, you know, and, and it's understanding these things. Guys, some of you, and again, I, I, I can't help but think the person that's in, like, the town that all you have is, like, a Shell gas station, a Dollar General, and, like, McDonald's. And you're like, God, right. what am I doing here? No, dude, you're there to tend that garden. And if yeah. you don't tend it, it will become a wasteland. There's so it doesn't matter if it's called Los Angeles or you live in some like backwoods of West Virginia before the Lord. One is not more significant than the other. It's, it's responding to your priestly calling and identity. Yeah, that is, 
Amazing. So good, man. We, I think we could, we could go on and on, on, on that. There's, there's so much there. You could take, you could take the scriptures and unpack it and, and, and unload it. And maybe we can do that sometime. So we should, we should um, do a whole series on Hebrews. Yes. Yes. That would be amazing. Yeah. There's, there's so much there. Um, well, look, uh, any other, anything else you want to say to, I mean, we, we've kind of been speaking to a specific people, it seems like here who are, you know, worshipers, some of them are leaders of small little groups or whatever. Uh, you know, you said that God had called you as a Saul to anoint and to call forth Samuel. The, Samuel, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't want Samuel. to be a Saul to the no, I'm sorry. <laughs> the Lord says you're going to ruin the lives. <laughs> no, no, excuse me. Uh, Samuel so to the Davids. Um, so yeah, so maybe you could just uh, kind of in wrapping things up here, maybe yeah. you could just speak to the Davids, you know, anything else on your heart? Yeah. Anything else you, you feel like you're always ministering to these people. So what would you say to the, to the young Davids or, or maybe they're not young, but maybe they're, they still feel like they're yeah. kind of out in the hillsides, you know, and, or they're, they've got just their small little thing. What would you say, man? Well, well first, Matthew, I, I, I want to thank you for, for doing this. Uh, I mean, what you and your wife are doing uh, to, to pioneer, to encourage, to strengthen, you know, the field. I remember talking to Ray Hughes about this. If we just changed the topic of our message, we'd probably make a lot more money and do a lot more things. But, uh, man, I just want to thank you and honor y'all's faithfulness and commitment to these worship and prayer communities. And, you know, we're just really starting to get to know each other, but I don't take lightly anything you guys are doing, man. So thank you for, for doing that. I, I want to say two things and, and, and they're connected. The first is, you know, when, whenever we, I do a conference or, or host a school, I, I like to start with, with this rhetorical question. And it's this, I, I'm in a room, you know, however many people there could be, you know, sometimes we go to places, there's five people and sometimes there's 5,000, you know, I, depends where you are, but I, it doesn't matter. I say, let's say God. And so if you're listening, let's say God called you. I had a word of knowledge, had your phone number, your social security and whatever your pant size and whatever, <laughs> you know, your favorite wrestler. And I called you out and I said, the Lord says you are going to be the most significant worship leader of your generation. You're going to write the most significant worship songs. And you're in fact, this, you know, this is a big one. You're, um, the Lord says, I'm going to give you songs that will end sex trafficking and will liberate countries. How many of you would love that? Everybody. Yeah. And then the Lord said, however, you can't ever tell anybody about it. You can't ever put it on Facebook Live. You can't testify. You can never record. No one can know about it, but you and I, I'll reward you openly in the next age and you'll work at Starbucks for the rest of your life. It'll be our secret. You'll sing things on Thursday and it'll be a headline on Friday. Like how many of you would, would, would take it? And you could see the hesitation. And what I want to encourage you guys, and I'm not saying God's going to do this, but what, what I want to encourage you is this. I think in an age of mass exposure and marketing and go, 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 God is looking for friends that are willing to stay hidden because God's just looking for people he can share his secrets with. And I would, I would encourage people that are hidden. I would encourage people that have these small communities. I, I don't know. I know it probably sounds so different than, than, the, than the language and the rhetoric today. I would venture to say that, that God has kept you hidden and God has kept you where you are because 
because God is jealous for friends that are his friends just because they want to be a friend. And I'm not saying, look, I'm not saying anybody with a massive platform is not a friend of the Lord. I'm not saying that, but right. I think there's, there's something special. We all have those friends, man. You just know they're, they're always available. They're there. And so, you know, I would encourage you with that. And the second thing is this, I've had this actually started burning in my heart when you asked me, it's this, some of you are in a place where you're in, you're in your little hillside of, of Bethlehem or, or of, of the, you know, you're in the cave and in, in, in Getty, the cave of Dulam, and you feel rejected. Maybe you're rejected by a spiritual father or you feel misunderstood. And what I would want to say to you is that the rejection of men is actually the preservation of God. God is preserving you. And this season of hiddenness is God is actually uh, preventing you from becoming a performer or becoming professional, professional worshiper. And he's keeping you raw. And I'll tell you this. And I think, you know, for some of you, you probably have those souls in your life that are trying to kill you. But God will allow the, the souls to come to kill the Saul in you. And God would allow the rejection of Jesse to force you to find the, the approval of God. And so I would, I would just say, man, stay where you are. Let God vindicate you. And don't, don't ever try to, don't buy the lie, the marketing lie. Don't buy the, the lie of, oh, I need to put myself out there. Don't do it. Let God do it and let him do it in his timing. And, and, and it might not happen in this age. It might be in the age to come. But man, stick with it. Stay faithful. I'd rather be David in the cave than Saul in the palace. And the most beautiful picture of what, of what God did in his heart is David finally makes it to the palace. Absalom shows up and David just gets up and says, if he wants the palace, he can have it. Allow God to so break you that you'd be the sort of leader that when the, that when you do get platform, you do, you do get position, you'd be more willing to give it up than to fight for it. Those are my thoughts. Wow. So good. Thank you, Jose. Pleasure, would, you just say, you. would you just say a quick prayer for those yeah, that are listening? Well, Father, I thank you that you are not done with us, God. Thank you. And Lord, Lord uh, I, I can't even imagine what it's like sometimes to, to really to be a David, to be one of these people in, in, in some small town that all they have is a dollar general in, in McDonald's and wondering, God, am I doing anything. Is this even worth it? I mean, I want to declare to you, I hear the Lord saying, thank you. Thank you for saying yes. Thank you for staying faithful. Thank you for showing up. Even you've had it in your heart. You said, God, if I'm the only one that comes to tonight's night of worship, I'm still, I I see, I see people. I, I see different people that you planned out these nights of worship. You planned out these different things and nobody came. It was just you and your team and you still did it. You still did it and you live with this thing. God doesn't owe you anything. And I just, I hear the Lord saying, thank you. Thank you for being a friend. Stay, thank you for being faithful. Thank you for sticking with it. God, I ask that you would send encouragement. I ask that you would send refreshing. I ask that you would send finances. And God, you would strengthen these ones, these little embers that are really, they're doing major things in the earth and they don't realize it. And sometimes you don't tell us, God, because our pride, we can't handle these things. And so Lord, I ask that you would bless them and keep them and Lord, strengthen your Davids and keep them from becoming souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks again, man. 
Heck yeah, man. My pleasure. I loved it. Well, everyone, thank you again for tuning in today. Uh, look, if you enjoyed this episode or you found it helpful or you know someone who you think could benefit from hearing some of these amazing things, please share this podcast with others, share it on social media, send an email or text, let people know about it. That would be great. If you're on Apple, leave us a review or a rating. That helps us. If you're on YouTube, give us a little thumbs up. All those kinds of things help the algorithm so that you know, more people can hear these messages. This and the needs to get permit. out there. This needs to get it out. Needs to get out there. Exactly. So thank you guys so much. Don't forget God's presence changes everything.